0: Let's now ride time for the words that are recited before each and
1: every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn!
2: it's time for Dodger Baseball.
0: What is going on, Dodgers fans? Thank you for listening to the last regular season episode of the Inclined Dodgers podcast brought to you by Fansighted. And your Los Angeles Dodgers finish with a franchise record best 111 wins and 51 losses. Maybe the greatest Dodgers team ever, but there's still a whole second chapter to be played out in the postseason. We got a number of great questions on today's podcast. So we are going to address your questions re- regarding postseason roster construction and some other fun things along the way. So before we get started on that, David Rosenthal, how's it going? How did you feel with the Dodgers closing things out? And despite, you know, maybe a few sluggish games against the Rockies, who really cares? Because 111 wins is what we're going to remember at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I'm glad they, they kind of tightened it up the last game of the season. Uh, Trey Turner got off the schneid there, two hits, including a home run, Freddie Freeman, three, three or four, three hits, I think. Uh, And Bellinger looks great too. The bullpen still looks good. Kershaw looked great. Uh, a, A really, really solid way to end a historic season. You don't really want to go into the playoffs, you know, losing four in a row. I mean, that's just not the kind of tone you want to set. Albeit, we're waiting a week to play, so it's a completely new season anyway, but that is a nice way to end the season. No more injuries like Muncie last year. Now they just got to rest up and get ready for the Mets and the, or the Padres.
0: Yep. I believe Cody Bellinger finished that six game series against the Rockies going nine for 19 with two home runs, a number of RBIs looking better, raising that batting average slowly, but surely Jake Reiner. What are your thoughts on what's going on with these Los Angeles Dodgers?
1: It just, what, what an incredible team. I think that it's hard as fans to appreciate these Dodgers teams as we've grown to know them over the few over the past few years because of the lofty expectations of winning a world series uh, every single year. I think that out of any team previously constructed, this team is the, I have the most confidence in out of any of the teams in, in the, in the past years. And the reason I have the most confidence in them is because despite all of the injuries mostly to the pitching staff, the starting rotation and bullpen. nobody but they've not skipped a beat at all. Uh, they've been solid all year long. Even when the offense kind of went through a couple of, a couple of valleys there uh, during the middle of the season, the pitching never wavered. It was never, never had a stretch where the, the pitching, you know, let you down in any way. Um, even after, you know, a few losses in a row, you'd have Gonsolin come in and and shut down the losing streak or Arias come in and shut down the losing streak. It's just um, what an incredible group of guys. And to to David's point, like, yeah, you, you don't want to limp into the playoffs, but I wasn't too worried either way because they got a five day layoff now. Um, So even if they were lighting the world on fire or slumping like no one's business, it, I don't think it would have really translated given the, the, the long break, which is kind of interesting because, you know, you, you play for that number one spot, you play for the top record, and you get it and you get the buy. But is that necessarily, you know, a good thing, uh, given the, the break in between? Obviously, you don't have to play a three-game series, which that's, that's the huge uh, advantage. But the disadvantage is uh, you're, you're, you're kind of having to resort to these simulated games to get ready for the postseason.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll find out since this is the first year of the new expanded postseason format. Clayton Kershaw recorded the final Dodgers victory of the season, and this has to be statistically one of the best he's ever looked heading down into October postseason. He finished over his last seven starts going 5-0 and with a 154 ERA in that victory on Wednesday today against the Rockies. Nine strikeouts over five innings, gave up just one run. Um, so... We'll get into it in just a second with the postseason roster construction, but Dave Roberts did confirm that it will be either Julio Urias or Clayton Kershaw starting game one with the thought in mind that whoever or who thought in mind that the starter of game one has to be the most available to start a necessary game five. I don't really know why Roberts is thinking ahead to game fives already when let's focus on game one because my opinion on the postseason is you should go into every game like it's game seven and just get the wins out of the way. So, is he
1: thinking that if if Urias pitches in game two that he could potentially come back for
0: game five? Is that is that kind of the thinking one. there? No, it'd be game one and then have him available to start a game five if necessary. Okay, so then what are we
2: doing? I mean, it's such an obvious Nothing. Answer. This is a complete smokescreen. It's not beneficial to just say, yeah, Julio Arias is our game one starter. Everybody in the goddamn Dodgers organization knows it's going to be Julio Arias. We all know it's going to be Julio Arias, but it does not behoove Dave Roberts to just say, yeah, it's Julio Arias. You might as well throw a little smokescreen, give a little ambiguity to the Mets or the Padres. There's no benefit to saying it right now. That's what it is, but it's like
1: it's not like we have like some some ace in the hole that no one's ever heard of or ever seen before. It's not. I, I know, mean,
2: it just makes it's, sense. You know, you might as well just try to do what you can, gamesmanship wise.
1: I mean, you're. I don't want Kershaw on short rest or or anything close it's to that. It's gonna be Julio. No, I I know that's what I'm saying. So there really is no other choice.
2: They lined it up that way too. You know, like they had Arias pitch the second to last game of the season. And then Kershaw after that. So it makes sense.
0: The format has it game one to game five. There's a four day rest, right? Okay. Yeah. Wednesday to Sunday, I believe. But shut up, Dave. This is all for nothing. They've all started on four days rest. Let's move on. I just wanted to throw in there that Clayton Kershaw today passed up Cy Young for the most all time strikeout seat. Now Kershaw ranks, I think, 24th or 23rd. So
2: literal Cy Young. Also just real quick for the NLDS. So if there is a game five, they would play game four on the road on the 15th and play game five at home the next day, which is seems stupid scheduling wise, but that's, that's what it would be.
1: They're trying to have less days off this year, but I don't know. It's, that's tough with it, with it. You know, if you were, let's say you're playing the Mets. Yeah, exactly. Know? I mean, Padres, it wouldn't matter so much, but you know, yeah. going from East to West, that's tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the first question to kick off the show comes from Jay Belshire. would be cool to hear your guy. Each of your guys NLDS roster predictions. So I'll go first. The, the starting rotation, Julio, and we'll start with the pitchers because that's more interesting in my opinion, Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, Tyler Anderson, and Tony Gonsolin. For a while there, I had to be Darth Maul fighting you two off, saying that no matter what, they are going to start Gonsolin if healthy. You guys were on the Dustin May train, which I can't fault you, but let's be real. Tony Gonsolin earned that spot. I think Dustin May has a bright future, but he didn't really prove that he should be starting over a Tony Gonsolin. We weren't, we,
1: I correct me if I'm wrong, David, but we weren't saying that if Tony Gonsolin was healthy, we'd still pick Dustin May. I, I mean, I at least was saying if Tony Gonsolin is healthy, he should be, he should be in there. But if he's not, I would take Dustin May over Andrew Haney. I
2: think that was the argument. And this is all, you know, I was under the premise that Dustin May was going to be healthy. Right. You know, I was talking about a healthy Dustin May.
0: Well, the, the way it started off was, Tony Gonsolin wasn't going to come back in time. He's not going to show you enough. So, well, yeah, even, even the thought of leaving, with him, that. leaving him off the roster altogether versus Dustin May, which we'll get to in a second. Roberts didn't even say he's a lock to make the roster at this point. I think he'll make it. but So anyways, I got Evan Phillips, Chris Martin, Yancy Almonte, Blake Trident, based off the information we were told today by Dave Roberts, Tommy Canely, Bruce Darger Dustin May leaving two lefties out of the bullpen in Alex Vessia and Andrew Heaney. So that means guys like Caleb Ferguson, David Price, and Craig Kimbrell are not on my initial NLDS roster prediction. Yeah. I mean, going off of what Dave said today, I'm
2: doing the same thing. Uh, I think the first three are a lock obviously. And I think they will go with Gonsolin to start uh, and throw in either Heaney or may to follow him. Um, So yeah, my, my 13 guys are Arias, Kershaw, Anderson, Gonsolin, May, Heaney, which is six. Phillips is seven. Vessia is eight. Martin is nine. Gratterall is 10. Almonte is 11. Canley is 12. And Trinan is 13. Other than
1: that, there. I mean, you, easily you can leave off. Kimbrell price and Ferguson. I'm a little disappointed though in Ferguson because yeah. for the, for the longest time he was lights out. And then second half, it's just been, he's kind of, he's been kind of wobbly and
2: hittable. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's definitely a risk to only carry Vesia as your, your primary lefty reliever and pretty much only lefty reliever. Cause he he's not oh, going to be yeah. featured in multiple games, in my opinion. Um, but if Trinan is healthy, you absolutely have to put him on there over Ferguson, even if it's, you know, right versus left. You have to. Right.
1: And also, Trinan, like you said, Trinan can get both righties and lefties out, but so can Phillips.
0: Yeah. And Vesia, frankly. Yeah. And probably Chris Martin. Probably all of them, to be honest. Yeah.
2: Chris Martin looks like the best pitcher on the planet right now. I mean, what the hell is this? I, he should be closing games, frankly. Kevin knew. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, just to add on Kalen Ferguson, it seemed like he was a lock for the longest time, but over his last seven games, a whip of two and a half, even the last month or last 30 games, a whip of one and a quarter. So he just was not consistent finding the strike zone. Oftentimes he would get himself in a pickle, but he had the strikeout stuff to get out of it. But I think uh, you just have him in the tank in case one of these guys get hurt. I am a little nervous that they're just giving a spot to Blake Trident because he's barely pitched all season and we don't really know what we're going to get. He really hasn't pitched in much high leverage at all this season. And I believe the caveat is if they have to take him off the roster due due to an injury, then he's out for the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought
1: it's out for the out for the postseason. I thought no, it was just it's that out round. for the
2: next series. So if you if you, t- if you have to take him out for the NLDS, he's automatically off for the NLCS. Yes, could come back for the World Series, okay. but frankly, with what's happened with him this year, if they have to take him off, they're just going to shut him down. It doesn't make sense to just keep doing this. But yeah, I mean, I think you can if he's healthy, he's gonna be solid. You know, we, when he's pitched this year, which has been like five games, he's been good. Yeah. I think out of,
1: I think out of anyone coming back from an injury to be able to be thrown into the fire like this, I don't think there's anybody else I'd trust other than Blake Trinan. So no. if they're going to do that, then,
2: you know, I I am on board. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you're throwing Gonsolin out there for game four, after just one start, which was two innings and 40 pitches, you kind of just have to send it with Trinan too.
0: L A S F nyc would you rather carry caleb ferguson or david price for the postseason roster well we already discussed that neither of them are going to make it at this point but if i had to choose one caleb ferguson
2: yeah yeah you know caleb ferguson hasn't really pitched well at all recently but just stuff wise i know price has been solid but i i I also gotta go with caleb ferguson um and I wouldn't shut the door completely on him making it. We're still not 100% sure on Trinan or May. So he might get on there.
1: Has I don't, Roberts hasn't committed to not having Kimberl
2: on there, right? No, still a possibility, but I don't see a path.
0: Yeah, there's just no way. I think Kayla Ferguson over Dustin May is the potential one shocker we might get. But with Kimberl, no, I don't see any path to him on that roster now. Yeah.
2: Blake
1: Harris, friend of the show, tweeted out that today, in today's outing, Kimbrell struck out the side for the first time this season. It's unbelievable how successful this Dodgers team has been with this just gasoline can for a closer.
2: All right. He hasn't been that bad, okay? He has. He's not a complete gasoline can. He had, like, six blown saves all year, okay?
0: He's got seven losses tagged to his name. Well... I don't really put too much stock into losses. Let me just him. say,
1: imagine if Kenley did this.
0: Oh, he would have been, it would have been nasty. Kenley did time. do this. He's done this. Kenley's done this before. I he know, but, he, has, he, but, he, but bad, he hasn't though.
1: been defended like like you've defended Kimbrell.
2: I, ha- Russ- I don't think I'm defending him. I'm just saying it's, it hasn't been a complete train wreck.
0: 2019 sucks because they didn't really want to go to Kenley Jansen and all in the NLDS. And I think that was part of the Dodgers downfall uh, 2020. We've already touched on this a, a lot, but he closed out games in the NLCS. And yeah, he, he was part of that blown save in game four, but I mean, most of 2020 Jansen was rock solid. And then last year, you know, it was last season. He was great. So
1: he was great. He's not,
0: he's not as bad as I think some Dodgers fans try, try to write the narrative. Kimberl was like a notch better than Brandon League. But on the offense side of things now, another 13 batters to name. I, if I had to guess the starting lineup, it's Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncie, Justin Turner, Trace Thompson, Gavin Lux, Cody Bellinger. So that's nine. And then the bench, Chris Taylor, Joey Gallo. Um, Austin Barnes and Miguel Vargas for me. So do you left Gallo off?
1: He left Hans Alberto off.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. To me, like I have a tough time. I have a tough time with Vargas. And it, the, the problem I have with is like, why, like, why wasn't he given more at bats? I don't understand. He should have been in there every single day getting at bats and he did he did come through in a couple of different spots but man i don't know he, he's just not I, I i don't think his bat is good enough right now to keep to keep him on this roster his glove is, i i was at the game last night and there was a fly ball hit to left it looked like he had no idea what was going on out there well, so he's not an outfielder that that's why i that's why i would I would go with Alberto over Vargas just for defensive purposes.
2: I'm going with Alberto over Vargas as well. I don't think these guys are going to get any at-bats anyway, Uh, and especially with Chris Taylor's injury. uh, Dave Roberts said he's confident he'll be able to play in the NLDS, but with a sore neck, you never know what's going to happen with that. And if somebody gets hurt in the infield, Alberto can play any of the positions. So I think you need that infield defense, especially at the middle. Uh, in case of an injury or a late substitution or whatever happens. I, don't, I just don't see a path for more than one at-bat at most for either of these guys. So I, I think you go with the defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is an old subject at this point, and I don't think either of those guys are going to get meaningful at-bats. But I'm scarred for life because of seeing Steven Souza Jr. bat in high-leverage spots against Tyler Matzek and Billy McKinney getting at-bats. So if the Dodgers well, that's somehow- on,
1: that's on Roberts because he should have put, he should have put Lux up there, you know, in one of those spots, at least.
0: I know. And I'm just, I'm just torn because having the defense is important, but I feel like we have guys regardless who can cover those holes. If someone gets hurt versus if we get into extra innings and we need someone to bat, and we have second and third and one out. I don't really want Alberto up there. I'd rather just run the table with Vargas. But like, are you assuming someone like broke their
2: leg? Like, why are we even putting either of these guys up there?
0: I'm not, but I, I've thrown this out there numerous times that if Joey Gallo gets into the game as a pinch hitter and now he's gonna have to face a lefty reliever, you don't really want Joey Gallo facing a lefty reliever. You want to put in a right-handed bat, and there might be Taylor already in the lineup, Thompson in the lineup. You don't really want to go with Barnes because he's your backup catcher. So it's just. It well, I, don't, I don't want Joey Gallo in the game either. Frankly, I think he's been.
2: Really bad as a Dodger. I think he hits a couple home runs, gets a couple walks, and the rest is a complete train wreck. He's left more men on base in the past two weeks. And I think Freddie Freeman has like all year. So look, I, I don't want to see Gallo in the playoffs either. I want to, I want to rock with the same 10 to 11 guys, period. Trace Thompson and Chris Taylor kind of alternating, uh, and that's about it. And Barnes, if
0: you, if you need be, but that's it. I still have this weird hope that Gallo is going to come through in a big spot. I, just, I do too. I trust the veteran. So that answers your question. I do not. Ray and Man 22 is Joey Gallo in or out? He's uh, in. the The only in or out that you have, the only in or out you have to really work worry about is not in or out, but in and out burger because that's happening and Joey Gallo is happening. They are both going to be staples in Los Angeles this October. Yeah. Also Dave Roberts said as much. A staple.
2: Yep. How about just like a tertiary character?
0: I think every single person on this postseason roster is going to contribute one way or another. I truly do. I think Dave Roberts, there's just something about him where he has to use everybody and I don't like it, but that's just what I'm accustomed to seeing all these years now. Yeah, he, he does like to use the full roster. <laughs> all right, so this is an interesting question coming from Catch the Blues. Ryan, discuss the Mets' strategy of not pitching DeGrom potentially unless there's a game three in the wild card. Is that a mistake? So first of all, to set the narrative here, the Dodgers will be playing the winner of the Mets and Padres series in a best-of-three Max Scherzer is confirmed to start game one. Apparently, according to John Heyman in the New York Post, Buck Showalter is throwing out the idea that they might not go to Jacob deGrom in a game two because if they're up 1-0, they'd rather roll the dice with Chris Bassett, hope he slams the door, and then the Mets move on to face the Dodgers and have Jacob deGrom available for game one.
1: See, you're talking about how, you know, you're worried that Dave Roberts is planning for five games. This is this is not a good move by Buck Alder. I don't like this move. I, I mean, w- what are we doing? It, you're, you're, you're playing with, you're playing with fire messing around in a three game series and it puts a lot of pressure on Chris Bassett, but also like, wouldn't you want Scherzer de Grom boom, boom, knock it out. No questions asked. Like, don't take a risk. Don't let the Padres back in. I just, I don't know. I just, it seems like they have, way too much confidence in their, in their team or not enough respect for the Padres. I don't know which one it is, but it's, but it's not a good strategy. If if the Dodgers were, were, were thinking about doing this, I would not be happy.
2: So I, I do think this would be an incredibly ballsy move by the Mets. I mean, that's putting a lot of faith in Scherzer and Chris Bassett, specifically Chris Bassett, uh, but I'm going to put on my conspiracy tinfoil hat here for a minute. Jacob deGrom has been pretty bad his last couple outings out. I want to say his last four or five outings, maybe, maybe a little less than that. So I, I think this might possibly be to try to give him a little more time to figure out what the hell is going on. But at the same time, like even if he's been atrocious, like you, you got to pitch him. So this would be a certified insano move by the Mets but they are the Mets, so it would check out. And I could totally see this completely backfiring, and they just lose the first two games, period. I could I could 100% see that. And we'll get well, into our predictions in a little bit, but you can kind of guess where I'm leaning with this.
1: Well, if 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 they lose game one, then are they saying that DeGrom will go game two?
2: Yeah. I, I didn't read the full New they York Post article, but
0: still, I mean, what if they lose game two? They're not going to pitch in game three who are they going to pitch game three they're pitched to grom it's it's all contingent on the first game they go down 0-1 they throw to grom in game two
1: look if they're up 1-0 fucking end it like just like do what you can to win both those games it makes no sense it's the mets
2: they tend to not make a lot of sense
1: also, it's worth noting that all of the wild card games are going to be played in the team with the better records home ballpark.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't really know what to make of this because I actually do think Chris Bassett is a pretty solid pitcher. I know he finished with like a three and a half ERA and pretty much did well against everyone except that final Braves game where they needed to win it and he blew it. But it was brought up earlier and I think kind of agree that maybe the Mets just don't have a lot of faith in the Padres bats because they really are a two bat team. So I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. It's either going to be the greatest managerial decision of all time. If they have DeGrom ready for game one, or it'll be the talking point in the New York media for the next four or five months, assuming the Yankees don't do something even worse.
1: Have the Padres announced who they are going with?
0: They'll go with Darvish. They have to. Or And
1: Musgrove, I assume.
0: Yeah. It's Darvish because they pushed his start back a day so that it it would line up. Yeah, he's he's their clear ace. But on the DeGrom front, his last
2: four outings, going back to September 13th against Chicago, six innings, three runs. Against the Pirates, five innings, three runs. Against the A's, four innings, five runs. And against the Braves, six innings, three runs. So that's not, that's not usual to Grom. So clearly he's been struggling. And I, I happen to think that that does have slightly something to do with this potential strategy.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Unlike the Mets, who are having some deGrom issues, a friend of the show, Rowan Kavner, tweeted out a cool stat today that The Dodgers are the first team since the 1919 Reds to have four pitchers with 20 starts and have sub-260 ERAs. So, of course, that's Rias, Kershaw, Anderson, and Gonsolin. Just shows you the fortitude of how deep the Dodgers starting rotation has been. And Andrew Heaney deserves some flowers, too, because he finished with a very low three ERA. so... 72, 73 innings, 110 strikeouts. As a number five starter, I think Dodgers fans are spoiled. That's actually pretty damn good.
1: Oh yeah, you take that every time, for sure. And it's just really nice to not be, to not have these guys just absolutely gassed going into the playoffs like it was last year. Obviously, they were missing Walker Bueller, which was, was a huge bummer in the beginning of the year. But in terms of health, rest stamina all the above you could you can't ask for much more going into this uh, into this postseason
0: definitely so yeah unfortunately freddie freeman does not take home the padding crown it goes to jeff mcneil i think freeman lost it by like weird bat have you seen his bat one point
1: have you seen jeff mcneil's bat What's wrong with it it's just it looks weird. it looks like the the knob is almost as
0: uh, almost identical to the barrel.
1: It's weird. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway I hate him. And then Freeman came up one hit shy of his goal of having 200 hits. he finished with 199 but he did get 100 RBIs in his first season with the Dodgers 21 home runs. I'll have more stats on him later. Uh, Was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about Dodgers postseason related or recent game stretch before we uh, move on?
1: I'm happy to say that that uh, Dino Ebel has tightened it up. He's been a little more conservative with his sends at third. I think he he knows he was a he was a bit over the top and maybe a little too aggressive. He's understood his Base runners now and the situation and I, I'm I, I'm happy to see that improvement actually.
0: Keep it going, Dino.
2: I'm watching you.
0: All right, let's do our wild card round predictions. Mets Padres, who wins?
1: My well when you look at the two teams on paper, the Mets are by far and away the better team. There's no there's no doubt about that. But it's it's hard to pick a winner out of, out of these two teams because both franchises have shown that they love to choke. And that's going to it's going to be a really fun series because I really don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean my my guess would be that the the Mets obviously have the edge and that the Mets will move on to face the Dodgers, but I don't know. The problem is is I don't see we've not seen how the Padres are going to be able to score. That's the issue. And I think the Mets have the edge with their lineup and who knows, but Juan Soto could absolutely go off. I mean, he's had a kind of underwhelming year. So if he goes off and Tatis, I mean, sorry. And <laughs> LOL <laughs> um, plan and, and Machado, excuse me. Um, if Soto and Machado go off, then, then they have a chance, but I don't know the rest of that lineup is kind of weak um, whereas the the Mets lineup is kind of potent compare uh, to uh, to compare them to the Padres,
2: I'm taking the Padres in two games. Wow, a yep. sweep! I think the Mets On the are going to miss Starling Marte quite a bit. Uh, I think Scherzer and Bassett are not going to live up to it. Uh, If they choose not to go with the Grom, if they choose to go with the Grom, then, then maybe I'll take San Diego, but uh, in three, but I'm taking the Padres either way. I think the Padres are going in kind of hot. They've kind of found, found their stride a little bit. uh, And I think we're going to get a 2020 NLDS rematch.
1: Forgive me. Starling Marte is not healthy. He's not going to be there.
2: He will not be there.
1: Okay. That doesn't change. Unless
2: something, you know, crazy. Unless they somehow get him in there, but he's, he's been out.
1: How are they gonna? How are the Padres gonna score,
2: though? I think Tatis and Machado. Uh, now you got me saying it. <laughs> I think I think Soto and Machado uh, and University of, of Michigan Tatis. product Jake Cronenworth and Josh Bell and Brandon Drury can can do enough. I think Hassan Kim is okay. El uh, Faro can hit a home run every now and again. So I I think they'll score. I, frankly, I don't think the Mets lineup is better at all. Like I really don't. I do. I don't. Jeff McNeil, am- Pete Alonso, oh, Brandon You love them? Jeff McNeil. You like treat. Oh no, Ket is it who? Kevin, Kevin loves, loves Jeff, McNeil. Jeff McNeil. All right, he just I won the I batting don't. crown. Okay, so he can.
1: I don't think Francisco gonna- Lindor. That's a good lineup.
2: Uh, I, look, Mark Canha. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm sticking with my prediction. I'm taking the Padres in two games. There's been four New York Mets teams to reach 100 wins. Obviously, this being the fourth. 1969 they won the world series 1986 they won the world series 1988 they lost to the dodgers in the nlcs i'm picking the mets because you can laugh at the mets all you want they've won world series they have players that have been there the padres are maybe the worst franchise in all of major league baseball no way in hell i'm picking them
1: <laughs> for the record i'm just gonna say mets in three just because we needed to give that but that's my prediction
0: i'll go yeah, mets in three as well Uh, Cardinals Phillies. We can make this one quicker. Huh? Uh, I like
1: the Phillies. I like the Phillies, uh, starting pitching better than I like the Cardinals starting pitching. And I think that the lineups, while I do like Goldschmidt and Arenado, I think that the, I think that the Phillies can, can run up the score. I mean, with Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber Um, and Reese Hoskins and real Muto. I think those guys have what it takes to score a ton of runs on any given day. So I'm going to go with the Phillies on this one and I'm going to go Phillies in three.
2: I like it. I'm. this is, I think this is for, I think this is going three games. Uh, and I think the Cardinals eke it out at the last minute. Uh, I think it's even in the third game, I think it's tied going into the late innings. And I think someone for St. Louis kind of becomes a hero. I think they, they, they don't have a team of destiny vibe, but they have a like move on to the NLDS vibe.
1: Well, yeah, well they got, they got, they got that Pujols magic. Yeah. So I'm
2: taking Cardinals in three.
0: I'm picking Cardinals in two. I think they are better than people think the The Dodgers, Mets and Braves have been stealing the headlines with their hundred plus wins, but this Cardinals roster is deep. They seem well managed. They got the pitching We've already talked about the hitters. I just don't think the Phillies have enough. So I think Cardinals dominate. On the American League front, Blue Jays, Mariners, the 4-5. Uh, what are you guys thinking?
1: Mariners got that juice. I don't know what it is, but they got something. And it, they, they got some magic first postseason appearance since 2001. Um, they've got a lot of really interesting pieces that Luis Castillo trade turned out to be pretty damn good. They signed him long-term Julio Rodriguez having an incredible year. Um, I really do like the Mariners. Um, and so I'm going to pick the Mariners in three.
2: Playing in Toronto in the postseason is electric. Uh, I think that is going to be a huge advantage for the blue Jays. I'm taking the blue Jays in three. Alec Manoa is a dog.
0: If this was a one-game wild card, I would pick the Seattle Mariners. But since it's a best of three, I'm going Toronto Blue Jays as long as Mitch White doesn't touch the mound. That's <laughs> unnecessary. This is so unnecessary to say. Oh, catching astray. ridiculous
1: we've making the
2: postseason roster,
0: I don't know, man. This is a let's just stop. So they'll go down 0-1, and win the next two, thanks to I don't know who their game one starter will be, but I think I would assume Toronto? it's Goss. I, I would assume Toronto goes with Gossman, but. I think the I, other I'd two guys go with Manoa. But oh those yeah. Two. I, you're right. I think Manoa is the game one starter. So yeah. Having Gossman go game two. I think that's huge for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. The last one is the three seed guardians and the six seed Tampa Bay Rays.
2: I'll start with this one. Go. I'm taking the guardians in two games. I think people are sleeping on this team tremendously. I think people are sound asleep on the Cleveland guardians. They have an elite pitching staff the best bullpen in baseball and a solid offense best bullpen. They have Come the on. best bullpen in baseball. I am the comfortable saying Los Angeles. That. No, no, no. Kloss a and Karanchak or whatever you say his name. That is unfair. They got a couple other dudes too. Once you get to the eighth and, and the ninth inning, you're not touching them. I'm taking the guard, uh, the guardians in two. And I know we're not there yet. I'm taking the guardians to beat the Yankees in five or sorry. Uh, in, in four.
1: I'm, I'm also going to take the Guardians for very similar reasons. I think people are underestimating them and we all underestimated them from the beginning. I I, I did not think that team was going to do anything, but they did play in a really terrible division. So there's that factor. But I do think that they have a really great team. And I don't know. I just I don't really buy the raise, Um even though, you know, they've they've kind of had that consistency over the last few years of, of getting to the playoffs. I think, I think the guardians will take it in 2
0: I'm going on the other page here in the upset, I guess, as a six seed Tampa Bay race for me in three, they are way more tested. They've been to a world series, not even that long ago, they play in a way tougher division, the American league East. So they're beating teams like the Yankees and the blue Jays. I think of the two teams, they have the best starting pitcher in Shane McClanahan and then I think, even though the Guardians' bullpen might be sexier at the top, I think the Rays are way deeper. They have the better manager at this point in Kevin Cash. Oh, and I don't know about that over Terry Francona. Yeah, I don't know about that. No,
1: Terry Francona all day.
0: Oh, yeah, not right now. You just pointed it out they're kind of the benefactors of a weak division. Here we got the mom and pop Tampa that Bay Rays. That, 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 the Tampa Bay Rays spend no money, and here they are competing in arguably the toughest division. Every season,
1: Terry Francona ended the curse in Boston.
0: Yeah, eighteen years ago. It's twenty twenty two now. Yeah, and he's still a good
1: manager. Has what has Kevin Cash won? Has Kevin Cash won anything? I'll wait.
0: An AL pennant.
1: His, that's his, nothing his, he's, his the, and he's also is he's
0: Blake also Snell the two-time he's also a two-time reigning manager of the year he won't win it three times okay. don They're mattingly written. was a manager yeah, of the rick
2: renneria one manager of the year and they canned him the next year
0: and then the what happened to the white Sox since i'm sure they really regret well, that one. it's not
2: my fault <laughs> they decided to hire a <laughs> decrepit old you know nursing home patient
0: i'm sure that if they could go back in time they would love to have rick renneria and grant him some give him some muffins because they fucked that one up big time Yeah, how do you fire someone who won for manager of the year that offseason? It's like when the Denver Nuggets fired a... George Carl. George George Carl. Carl. Yep, it's very similar. But But yeah, Guardians' bullpen is electric, dude. And you also got to factor in, look, they're going to go
2: Bieber and McKenzie game one and two. And then you're going to spin the chamber on either go Cal Quantrill or Plesak for game three. So that means the other one is going to be pitching out of the bullpen in this wildcard series, possibly, if you go to game three.
1: Who's the game two starter and game three starter for the Rays?
2: Exactly. Literally. Exactly. Rasmussen. Maybe they, they use a lot of those guys who they'll throw them out there for four or five innings and then go to the bullpen.
1: You think Glasnow making the roster?
2: I don't know. He I was never a Glasnow fan. He's, he gives up the long ball to way too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't read too much Ray's news, but I know Jeffrey Springs had a good season. They got Corey Kluber and uh, Rasmussen, like you point out, maybe JT yeah. Chargois breaks out. Breaks breaks the bank for the... He's, still on the... he's still on that team? Yeah, he's still on that team. I think it's going to be the closest series, but like I said, I'm giving it to the Rays because they have the experience. Well, Dodgers fans, five-day layoff, and then your Los Angeles Dodgers play the winner of the Mets and Padres series Tuesday, October 11th at Dodger Stadium, and that will be aired on the Fox Network. You know one way you could get to that Dodger game? At... With affordable prices, use our friends tickpick. Download the app or go to tickpick.com and use the promo code Incline All Caps to save $10 off your first purchase of $49 or more. No fees at checkout. You see the price, you know what you're gonna get. What do you guys think about Tick Pick and the the potential uh opportunity to go to the Dodgers postseason using the, the promo code?
1: Well, you know, those tickets are going to be expensive. So any any percentage you can knock off that price is worth it. And also the no fees is great too, because I know that when I'm searching for a ticket, even in advance or last minute, those fees add up. And sometimes you don't even re- realize there are fees until you go to the checkout and you realize, you, you know, got to tack on a few more bucks and it's, you know, not fun. So um, definitely if you're going to the game, you got to go to Tick pick. You just
2: have to. I would agree. Gas ain't getting cheaper. Got (laughs) to save where you
0: can. (laughs) I am celebrating this off day by going to bring me the horizon at the forum and you can use TickPick to get very cheap tickets. So use that promo code incline at checkout, save some money folks. All right, David, I'll let you uh, drop this next category since it was your idea.
2: All right. So kind of like a end of season awards, if you will. Um, so I have suggested the categories of offensive MVP, pitching MVP, biggest surprise of the year, unsung hero, best moment of the year. So So why don't we, why don't we start with offensive MVP? I think this one might be unanimous, but, uh, one of you want to kick it off.
1: I'll go for me. It's Freddie Freeman. And I, I think we i all be in agreement on this, but he was just a model of consistency, not just of consistency, but elite consistency. He really, you could tell he really kind of retooled his game a lot in the sense that he focused on driving in runners, sacrifice flies, you know, hitting against the beating the shift. I mean, he was so crafty with the bat that you know, typically you'd see a lot more power from him, only 21 home runs on the season, but that was because he was basically elite in every other offensive category. He had so many career highs in statistics this year, Um, led Major League Baseball in doubles with 47, a career high. He led Major League Baseball in hits with 196. That's a career. 199. One ninety nine. That's a career high. Led Major League Baseball. Um, he scored this. This could be 117 Seventeen runs. One hundred and seventeen runs. That's tied. Well, that that's the National League lead, right? Because he was tied with Mookie. Yep. Um, Thirteen stolen bases out of nowhere. Career high. Um, also, the the thing that I wanted to point to is that. With runners in scoring position, he hit 387 Yeah. with, with an OPS over a 1,074 runs batted in every, you know, not every time, but it felt like when you needed a hit, when you needed an RBI, he was able to scratch a run across. And that was what was really tough for the Dodgers in 2021, even though they won 106 games, they had a lot of trouble with runners in scoring position and just getting that run across when you got bases loaded and nobody out. How many times last year did we dread that situation because they could never come through in this, this year, the Dodgers have done an amazing job and Freddie Freeman has been the best at it, which is just getting the run across, just scratching a run across, making sure that you don't have these empty possessions. And he's just been fantastic and being able to watch him on a daily basis every single day. It's been incredible. I mean, he's had a terrific season. He's the offensive MVP by far and away and also played yep. gold glove defense.
0: I also went with Freddie Freeman. You listed off a lot of the stats of why he is the Dodgers offensive MVP. He was essentially a seven war player. So if you rolled that back a year, he should have, he would have been the unanimous MVP. That's a real MVP on like Bryce Harper. I don't know how that happened. The Phillies weren't even good last year. Ridiculous, but <laughs> Uh, Back to the point, the doubles, he was two, maybe three shy of tying Sean Green or passing Sean Green for that Dodgers franchise record. So yeah, he didn't get the home runs, but he had a shit ton of doubles. The 918 OPS led the Dodgers as well. And he was an Ironman. The only reason he took a day off is because Dave Roberts forced him to after they clinched. Otherwise, he'd play 162. He was in there every day, driving in runs, like you mentioned, hitting righties, hitting lefties. When he was up at the plate, you knew he was coming through the majority of the time. Yeah, you guys pretty much covered it. Freddie Freeman
2: is mine as well. And I'll just add a quick shout out to Trey Turner and Mookie Betts as well. Uh, Freeman, Freeman definitely deserves this, but both of those guys had fantastic seasons. The Dodgers had three of the top 12 baseball players in war on their team, all hitting one through three in the lineup. All right. Second award is uh, pitching MVP. I think this one will probably be unanimous as well. Uh, I will start this one off. I'm going to throw a little wrench in there. Obviously Julio Arias deserves this, but I'm going to go with co MVPs and I'm going to throw Tyler Anderson in there as well. I think Arias, his season speaks for itself. Uh, Everybody who's listening to this podcast, know what the fuck Julio Arias does every night, but I want to shout out Tyler Anderson as well. He's been the model of consistency for, for a signing that people weren't really too excited about. I mean, he, he, Started 28 games, pitched in 30, 178 innings, uh, 257 ERA, 15-5 and record, a 1.00 whip, 138 strikeouts, and was a quality start machine. Uh, He just kind of put his hard hat on, brought his lunch pail to work, did his job, and went home every single night. So I'm going with co-MVPs, and I think Julio Arias has a real shot at the Cy Young too.
1: Yeah, for me, it's Julio Arias, just the fact that he – took over that ace role in the starting rotation after Walker Bueller went down. Kershaw was out with, uh, with injuries too. He has been everything everyone has, has asked for. And also he finished the season with uh, the lowest ERA for any Mexican born major league pitcher. So that's an incredible feat. The fact of the matter is, is that the Dodgers fan base has, Embraced him. He's the second coming of Fernando Valenzuela, even better, I think, than Fernando was. Uh, 17 and seven this year. Like I said, insane ERA, led the National League with a 216 ERA and a 193 ERA plus whip under one, 166 strikeouts. But I think uh, one of the most important things as we're talking about the postseason is that he pitched 10 less innings than last year. Last year, he was completely gassed and they overused him, brought him out of the bullpen. That was a bad move. Um, and this year they have been very conservative with him, but he's also been so efficient on the mound. I mean, I can't even remember at any point him having a bad outing. I mean, I'm sure it happened at some point, but even yeah, game one, when his first Phil outing last
0: said, yeah, it's over.
1: <laughs> that to me was like one of the worst takes I've ever heard. I mean, the fact that like they were he was freaking out was about
2: Plashke or Hernandez? It was, was Plashkey. Okay. I, I think
1: Camelo, Chris Camelo said uh, Dylan Hernandez, but I believe it was Plashke. Okay. Um Dylan Hernandez had the bad angels take. Anyway, the, the fact that
2: others.
1: the fact that like Bill Plashke posited the idea that we should be worried about Julio Rios because his velocity was down. Is just asinine. I mean, the, the, give him give him one start. I mean, Christ. So I I think that you know since then he was just he just took took off and I think I think he should be the Cy Young. I mean he's a he is the best pitcher in the National League on the best team and the Marlins are nowhere near making the playoffs. And so for me, he takes the cake. I'm sold on it. I hope he wins. I I, I really really hope he wins.
0: Round of Julio Urias. What more is there to add? We've been talking about him all season. He has taken the throne as the Dodgers ace. And every time he takes a step on the mound, you feel like you're going to get five, six quality innings and you're set up for success. And I think another interesting stat about Urias is I think, if if I'm not mistaken, he had the best run support in 2021. And that took a major dial back this season, a lot less run support for a while but that didn't really phase him. The one, two run games didn't really, he never really gave up any runs and kept the Dodgers in it to win it.
2: All right. Next is biggest
0: surprise of the year. Oh, sorry. You want to start us off? Yep. For me, it's Tony Gonsolin because entering the season, he was just another guy hoping you're hoping to get some, some good starts, maybe come out of the bullpen. We didn't really know what we we're going to get. I think, A lot of fans were like, oh, he's a fifth starter. You know, maybe they'll acquire someone better at the deadline. Well, that didn't happen because Tony Gonsolin emerged as the Dodgers' first half ace, in my opinion, and he would have been the co-Sai Young if he didn't miss the last six weeks or so because he did finish the stat line with a 16-1 record, a 214 ERA. He was an all-star. He made 24 starts, had an 087 whip, and I think it still holds up, but he had the lowest opponent batting average against. Every time the Dodgers seemed to lose a game. And then it was Gonsolin's turn in the rotation. He was like the doctor, the, the medic pitch, a great game. The Dodgers usually won Gonsolin would have great stats. And he eventually, he essentially threw like a Zach Greinke like season. In my opinion, He was very efficient with his pitches. No one could really touch the slider had one of the best splitters in the sport. And so that's why for me, the biggest surprise has to be Tony Gonsolin because I thought he'd be good. I thought he would, you know, make a name in the rotation but he was the Cy Young candidate for a good second there
1: for me the biggest surprise hands down is Trace Thompson I don't think anybody nobody maybe Andrew Friedman but nobody knew what we were going to get bringing Trace Thompson back to the Dodgers and it's just one of those magical things of players performing well in a Dodgers uniform and not performing well in any other uniform and the fact that the Dodgers were able to get him after he was outcast by the Padres, they traded him for cash considerations uh, from the Detroit Tigers and all this guy has done since joining the team is hit to the tune of a 901 OPS 145 OPS plus 13 bombs 39 RBIs and I think the most impressive thing is that he only did it in 74 games He did not start every day, even though he definitely earned a starting role and should have been in there every single day with the way he was hitting. But I think the remarkable thing was is that it didn't matter. He stayed sharp no matter what. And it wasn't just empty stats. He would come up in big spots and hit massive home runs, often of the three-run shot variety. And what a special story he's been and, and he's played his way onto this postseason roster. Not only he played himself into the starting lineup during the postseason, there's not much more you can say about Trace Thompson. He has been a gem. And for me, he's the biggest surprise.
2: I'm going to go with Chris Martin because I was not expecting anything from him whatsoever. I did not peg him as a guy who would even make the playoff roster. Uh, this is at the trade deadline when I wanted them to get some, you know, solid reliever uh you know who has was having a solid year when they got this guy he had a 431 ERA in Chicago in 31 innings 15 earned runs since he's been a Dodger 23.2 innings four earned runs he's given up two earned runs in 2 in August 2 in September one in the the 2 in September was in the same game so since September 2nd he has not given up an earned run he has a 31 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio as a Dodger he looks unhittable so This has been my biggest surprise far and away. Uh, And once you get into playoffs, you're going to have to rely on your elite relievers. We saw that in 2020, which is one of the reasons the Dodgers won the world series. This guy is going to be huge. If the Dodgers are going to win the world series, you put it, you get the three headed monster with Phillips, Martin and Vessia completely out of left field for me. I, I was not expecting this. This is my biggest surprise by far.
0: He's been a sky full of stars and dusty Baker I know you've already apologized. Tell me, I didn't know what I was talking about, but Chris Martin, baby. All right. And our final, I think it's final segment. No,
2: second to last one. Uh, Unsung hero.
1: All right, I'll start us off. So I had a tough time picking just one uh, person, but I'm going to go collectively with the bullpen. I don't think- That's
2: a cop-out.
1: Why is that a cop-out?
2: Pick, I mean, just the bullpen- well, like not, can, I, just have one guy?
1: can I make my case? All right. The bullpen, because of all of the significant injuries they've had this year, Blake Trinan, Tommy Canely's been out for a while. Bruce all been out for a while. Hudson just absolutely died on the mound one night, and that was it. And they didn't have any of these guys pretty much the whole year. The fact that they've been able to piece together just you know, a collection of dudes that have become elite, Evan Phillips, Chris Martin, Alex Vesia. it didn't matter. It was a, it, they, whoever they plugged in there did well with the, with the exception of, of uh Bickford, which was kind of a drop-off from last season. And Kimbrell. And that, right. And I was going to say, and they overcame a bad closer in Craig Kimbrell. Now granted the Dodgers had an insane run differential. So there weren't that many close games, but the fact that they rocked, for the entire season with Craig Kimbrell as the closer, and it was an adventure every single time. He was the only real outlier. Everyone else was locked down. You'd get from the sixth, seventh, and eighth, easy. It wasn't even a contest. And then the ninth was a fucking adventure with Kimbrell out there. And they were able to overcome that, remove him as the closer, not skip a beat. Um, the the, the it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing year for this bullpen, and I I couldn't be happier. That's why they're the unsung hero for me.
2: All right, Right, Kevin, so Jake picked a
0: sentient being for his. So what do you got? Yeah, I'll give you a player. Thank you. It's it's Trace Thompson, and Jake already laid it all out there, so I don't need to repeat everything he just said because I agree with all the points he made. But I'll just add that the Dodgers bench really sucked for a while. It was basically McKinstry sometimes, it took months for Jake Lamb to make an appearance and God, it was so bad. I can't even remember who else was coming off the bench. I guess technically Rios, who was fine, but then he disappeared. I, oh, yeah. Alberto who who's as useless as Scotch tape on a wall. So uh, Trace Thompson really sparked and ignited the Dodgers bench and earned his way into the starting lineup. And so when guys like Chris Taylor were out or Gavin Lux couldn't play, so they could start Thompson and move Taylor to second, et cetera he's been Mr. Consistent for the most part. And like Jake said, a guy that's just always ready, no matter what the moment of the game was.
2: All right. My unsung hero is Mitch white. He started 10 games for the Dodgers. Uh, he had a three, three seventy RA came in when we needed it and was just, just filled the void for us. Okay. We do not get where we are without Mitch white. What, okay? what about Ryan Peppio? He, he came what about in, Michael Grove? He came in, he did his job well. And then his, his, his gift, was getting shipped to Toronto, so when the Dodgers win a World Series, I would volunteer to personally give Mitch White a World Series ring. But my you got actual, mad at
1: me for picking the bullpen. I, you just, picked I'm Mitch just White.
2: Around my actual unsung hero, although Mitch White deserves credit, is Gavin Lux, and I'll tell you why. All right, in the there early we go. Parts in the There's early an parts of the season. The only production the Dodgers were getting was the top three in the lineup. Betts, Freeman Turner. The middle of the lineup in the early parts of the season was a disaster. And Gavin Lux in the nine hole would set the table for the first three, four months of the season when they were getting no production from anywhere else. He would, he would get on base. He would score runs, set the table. And that was when the division was won. This division has been over for months when the Dodgers were in the thick of the division race, which was for this season, the early parts of the season, Gavin Lux was one of the team's best producers and best on-base men. So he is the unsung hero for me, uh, and Mitch White gets my honorary secondary award. Thank God you went with that. That's a good answer. Thank you. All right, final final uh, category here is best moment of the season.
1: Go ahead, Kev.
0: So I don't really know yet because – I kind of like to wait for the postseason. Obviously the regular season, this is what we're talking about. And we're going to have have the whole incline awards year two later on. So the fans will get to vote. Uh, You know, it's, it's tough to really just pinpoint one, but I guess for now I I did like the pool seven home run game, 700 home run game, but that obviously wasn't technically a Dodgers moment. I think I'm just going to go with that white Sox game where Tony LaRussa intentionally <laughs> yeah, walked. Yeah, I had it, that one too. Trey Turner? Yep. I think he tra- walked yeah. Trey Turner. Two strikes. Which infuriated Max Muncy. And I know it was a comeback. I don't know if that was what sparked the comeback. But regardless, Muncy hit the two or three home run bomb. And that was just hilarious. And that was the beginning of the end of the Chicago White Sox season the team that I thought would win the AL pennant and maybe the biggest disaster in a number of years. Cause wow. But yeah, that Muncie one.
1: Um, I, I had, I, I toyed with, you know, talking about some of the big comebacks that they had, like the, like the one in St. Louis in July where they were down six, nothing. I mean, that was in just a, just an absolute surgical comeback. And it was, it was an amazing thing, but I think the, the, The best overall moment um, is Kershaw passing Don Sutton. All right, well, I guess
2: I'll just go fuck myself because those were my two.
1: Oh, shit. Go (laughs) ahead. Take it home for us. David's been so mad at me since I selected the bullpen (laughs) as my unsung hero. He can't get over it. Anyway, um, yeah, Kershaw passing Don Sutton for most strikeouts in franchise history. I think that... um, if if a if a Dodgers record isn't held by Sandy Koufax or even Don Drysdale for that matter, I I want Clayton Kershaw to hold that record. And so for him to pass Don Sutton at Dodgers Stadium, it was an incredible incredible moment for him. And I'm I'm so happy that he did it in a Dodgers uniform. That he didn't go to any other team and that he stayed with us and he's going to be a main fixture in this Dodgers rotation in the playoffs, which we were sorely missing last year.
2: Yeah. So like I said, those were both the two I wrote down. So I I will spare the uh, redundancy here, but I just want to add on the Kershaw front. He is 193 strikeouts away from 3000 and three wins away from 200 wins. So sign him up for next year, stay healthy. And he's going to get both of those milestones.
0: He said he was going to pitch in 2023. So, great can I, it could happen.
1: Can I throw an additional bonus category at you guys real quick? Please. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to go with biggest disappointment. I
0: know um,
1: mine. So, I'll go first in case you guys need to think about that. Um, cut my me biggest disappointment, too.
2: What? I said you can cut me out of this one, too.
1: Okay. <laughs> may- maybe, maybe you have the same one as me. <laughs> okay. um, Chris Taylor is my biggest disappointment this year. I think after signing um, that big four-year, $60 million contract coming off an all-star season, we know what he's meant to this team in the postseason and all of that. He has had a really bad season. Um, he's he's struggled to stay healthy, but he's also played in 118 games, which is enough of a sample size to make a judgment on him. Um, batting two twenty-one a uh, 304 on base percentage, a uh, 373 slugging, 677 OPS, only 10 homers and 43 RBIs. It's just it's just been a struggle for him and it's been a it's been a little disappointing um that he's not been able to be as productive as we know he can be, but hopefully his neck is feeling better and he can get some of that playoff magic back and be um a formidable part of this team in the postseason, but yeah, he's got to be my biggest disappointment. Signing that contract and having this
2: year is just not what you want to see. All right, so I didn't really have any big disappointments. I know who Kevin's is, so it's not going to be mine. But my biggest disappointment is, and I, frankly, I, I, wasn't, I didn't have high expectations here, but I just don't have really any disappointments. So my answer is going to be Joey Gallo. Uh, I think he's been way worse than Dodgers fans think he has been as a Dodger. I mean, I I think he's been really, really bad. And, you know, I was not expecting pretty much anything, but somehow I've gotten less than I expected from him. So that's kind of all I have to say on that. But when you win 111 games, I don't really have too many disappointments.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'll be honest, my initial answer was going to be Chris Taylor uh, because I, I thought given, given the fact that he was paid big time, that would spark him and he'd have a big follow, follow-up campaign to this All-Star year a year ago, and he just really has not shown much. And then I thought, since I've only had a couple minutes to really think about it, I could have gone with Craig Kimbrell, but that's just way too easy. He's probably everyone's biggest disappointment for the most part. And I honestly can't really be disappointed because when the trade was made, I said it was a bad trade from the start, so how could I be disappointed in something that I didn't have faith in? On the other hand, when the Dodgers signed this guy, Hanser Alberto, I was fired <laughs> up. I was like, awesome. They hired a, they signed a versatile infielder. He can play some outfield. He can crush lefties. He just makes contact and bap hits them to death. Well, Alberto has been pretty bad this season. Maybe the worst player on the team by war metrics, I'm not counting the Eddie alvarez's who and McKinstries who barely played. But what did Alberto do this season? He couldn't even really establish himself as a great platoon hitter as well. Um, I would have to pull up the stats to see what he did against lefties, so I'll stall here. But defensively, he was underwhelming, he had negative outs above average across the board. His defensive run saves were pretty terrible too. He's not a better defender than Lux at second. He's not a bit better defender than JT or Muncie at third. So he's just a cheerleader. And we're not hiring guys to be cheerleaders here on the Dodgers. So he's uh, really,
2: he's a really good cheerleader, though. Dude. So yeah,
0: against lefties, he ended up somehow he ended Interrated. up finishing with a 272 batting average against lefties. I don't know how that's possible, but he did have a 279 on base. So he drew like one walk and a 667 OPS. Against Ridey's a five eleven OPS. So how many games did he play? He played in eighty, or sorry, he played in. Looks like well, he had one hundred fifty five at bats, and in terms of games played, it looks like he played in seventy two games, one hundred fifty eight played appearances. So that's about... crazy. And he's
1: he's been with the team the whole year, and Trace Thompson's played in two more games than
0: him. <laughs> that's a good point. So yeah, that's my answer. Um, cool. Right. Anything well, else? That- anything else, real quick, subject wise? Because I have one more question. This comes from Safety Stars on Twitter. Thoughts on Tyler Anderson getting paid by the Dodgers in the off season? I think the Dodgers will definitely flirt and probably end up giving him the qualifying offer, which is like a one year, nineteen million dollar contract, something around that range. Which I think would be great value. Uh, I think when Anderson te- will te- could test the market. He could make somewhere along the lines of four years, $75 million or something close to that. I don't know if the Dodgers feel pressed to re-sign him. I guess things will kind of lay out with first Kershaw. We know Bueller is out all of 2023. Marius has one year left on his contract. But then they're going to have Bobby Miller. They're going to have Pepio, probably Gavin Stone. Dustin May will be fully back. Dustin May, Gonsolin, and then you get either Heaney back on a cheap one-year deal or you take another flyer on someone and you try to fix that guy. So I, my gut tells me Tyler Anderson will probably sign with a new team and be paid to be as the team's number two, maybe even number one, depending on which franchise it is.
1: Yeah. I think if he gets a, if he gets a long-term offer from, from another team, he'll probably go and do that. And I, I, I wouldn't, as a, as a, as the Dodgers, I wouldn't sign him to that, that contract. You just, Throughout there that four years 75 million um because i think he, he i'd like to see him put together two seasons like this um before i would hand out a contract but he's also getting a little older so if they can if they can you know sign him to a qualifying offer or get him back you know for a one or two year deal then then i'm all for it
2: I agree. I think they'll, they'll send the qualifying offer and he, he does seem like a guy who would want to stay. So I wouldn't rule it out, but if he gets an offer like that, he should take it and the Dodgers don't necessarily need to match it. The
1: qualifying offer is still a thing, right? I remember they were talking about like getting rid of it, but okay.
0: Yeah. Still there. It was supposed to be removed, but something happened with the voting recently. So guys like Trey Turner are going to get the qualifying offers attached to his name, which will make the, the free agent market more interesting. Um, don't need to really talk about that right now. So yeah, anything else you guys want to cover? Because I have one other thing real quick. I do have yeah. an out of left field, but what do you got? Do your out of left field and then I'll
2: do an idiot. Okay, so my out of left field is something I'm very passionate about and it makes me very angry. When I go to the grocery store, I don't sign up to do math. <laughs> and when I go to the paper towel aisle, I have to do math. You, They, they, they force... Math on me. You go to the paper towel aisle, you're looking at all these possible options, and it's like 12 mega rolls equals 24 rolls, and then 16 equals 18. And it's what the hell are we doing? I did not sign up for this. I want uniform measurements for paper towels. This has gone on long enough. I mean, do I need to bring out my calculator when I'm going grocery shopping? Why is why are they forcing my brain to to do math? When I just, I just need paper towels. I just need to dry my hands off. I didn't sign up to do some E equals MC squared to figure out the best deal on paper towels. This is ridiculous. And the fact that this is not a widespread discussion in our society is baffling to me because it's, it's, I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? How is, why are they doing this? Why are they intentionally trying to confuse us? What is the, what is the motive behind this? I don't get it. Why don't you just say there's eight paper towels in here? Eight rolls, not mega rolls. Equals what is? What is even the the conversion rate of mega rolls to regular rolls? There's no. There's no key. There's nothing. I I'm just confused when I go paper towel shopping. It's what 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 are we doing this for? Does yeah. this apply You're- to
0: toilet paper? Because I feel like that's kind of just, yeah, but promised. it's mostly
2: paper towels. But but toilet paper as well. Just the whole paper product aisle. Why are we doing math?
1: Also, I hate the self checkout. I. I don't understand why we're asked to, to do a job we're not trained for. <laughs> like, I just feel like there should be more aisles that you can go with the conveyor belt and someone to help you because sometimes you just have too many items to go through the self checkout. And then when you got a problem, then you got to make a whole deal out of it and flag some guy down. Um, but they're always forcing the self checkout. You can do self checkout. You can like, I don't want to, do that work on my own. I don't. It's the best. Because okay, You don't. Ha- You've completely of all-
2: bypassed the math here. You didn't even comment on the paper towel math. Are you <laughs> just okay with this? Yeah. <laughs> like you're just like okay, like eighteen mega rolls. I, it, it's seven. never I,
1: honestly. To be honest with you, I've, it's never something that I've ever really encountered or had an issue with.
2: So you just grab one. You're like, okay, that, that. I guess I'm just trusting this math here.
0: Give me the mega roll, baby. All right. Whatever's I mean, the cheapest, unless it's like the shit brand, but
2: yeah, you got to go, you got to, you got to look
1: to see, you know, if you can get a, get a little discount, like a Vons discount or something.
2: Yeah. I You know, I, I do that. And I, I still am confused when I walk out of the paper towel aisle and I just am constantly wondering if I made the right choice or
0: not. It's, it's all marketing. Um, I could do a whole 40 minutes on that on grocery stores, but Self checkout's the best because first Lone of all wanna hear that podcast. You don't have to talk <laughs> to people in self-checkout. Second of all, I hate waiting in large lines, especially with the old people or the big chubby people, and they're like two shopping carts and it takes like 10 minutes. And you got the grandmas who bring the checkbook. Yes, the grandmas that write the checks and it doesn't go through, or someone's card isn't being read or gets declined, or Sally May has to complain because she claimed it was 10 cents cheaper on her yogurts than what it's all that ordeal. And so then they got to send the bag boy to go check. And here I am just standing here. Or how about when someone's like, wait, can you guys
1: wait a second? I got to go grab something.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh my God. Those people need to be taken (laughs) out back and
2: slapped. I, I'm with you, Kevin. Uh, except my only complaint on the self checkout
0: is like the bagging area where you like put your scanned items is never big enough. Not big enough. Yeah. Yep. That's something they could improve. Yeah. All right. So this final idiot of the week for the regular season has to go out to Marcus Stroman. Two-time winner now. <laughs> the two-time. He tweeted on October 4th, I think this, and it was before number 62 by Aaron judge actually occurred. He tweeted "Judge is having one of the most historic seasons of all time, but how do you not give the MVP to Otani? What he's doing has never been done before and may never happen again. Both players are more more than deserving. There's no wrong opinion. Well, first of all, or option, regardless, the wrong option opinion belongs to you, Marcus Stroman. (laughs) Because first of all, stop giving MVPs to players on bad teams. David made a great point that the Yankees would probably be nowhere near this pennant race without Aaron Judge. Second of all, they would he be hit the angels. He'd hit 62 home runs in a season. Something that's never been done before in the American Clean. league. Yeah. An AL record that's 61 years old broke by Roger Maris with 61 home runs in the year, 1961 and Babe Ruth to Maris to judge all Yankees. The war is like 10. I think he's breaking numerous offensive records. He. I don't think he ended up finishing with it, but he was the triple crown guy for a while. And I hate the counter argument. Well, does he pitch? Well, does Otani play the field? Because Aaron Judge is a goddamn good defensive center fielder, right fielder, and he's robbed players of extra bases, home runs. So like I was trying to, the point is, Judge is doing something that's never been done before. And that's 62 home runs in the American league, clearly the best offensive player in baseball. They already gave the MVP to Otani last season anyway. So give it to someone new. If, yeah, and- if
1: if this season for Aaron judge is not, is not able to beat Otani, then then Otani will never lose because when you look at, and I brought this argument up before, where you look at the race between Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And Shohei Ohtani.
2: Yeah. He got hoed too,
1: you know, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Had an incredible season in 2021. And if it weren't for Ohtani, he would be the MVP, but it does take a season like the one Aaron Judge hat is having with 62 home runs, the AL record, and also leading everyone else in every other offensive category pretty much except batting average, which he almost won the triple crown to me. And he's playing for a playoff contending team and what he's meant to that team in war. There's no other, there's no other option. I know Otani has had an incredible season and yes, he's had a really great season on the mound, but overall offensively, defensively, Aaron judge takes the cake.
2: The only thing I have to say on this is if Ben Verlander and Marcus Stroman are on one side of the argument and everybody else is on the other side, you can guess which one is right.
0: Good point. And we'll close it at that. All right. We're we're running out of time here, so any final thoughts? This is the last regular season episode before we start prepping for the postseason.
1: I'm looking forward to um, an incredible couple of days of baseball where you've got four or five games in a day. It's going to be a lot of fun beginning on Friday, and it's going to be really fun to really closely watch this Mets Padres series because those are two teams that Dodgers fans absolutely despise, not only the teams, but the fan bases. So it'll be fun to see which fan base crumbles.
2: I'm just ready. I'm ready for the playoffs. I think this is, this is going to be a, a, a very solid postseason for Dodgers fans. I'm not going to say what I want to say, but if they just hit the ball well and score runs, I said on the last week, if they can score five runs a game, this is going to be a very, very enjoyable postseason for Dodgers fans.
0: Yeah, on the fans' front, my final power rankings for worst fans in Major League Baseball number one, the Astros, for many obvious reasons. Number two, I have to go with the Padres. We didn't even bring this up, but the whole tweeting and talking points that this is their first legitimate postseason appearance since 2000. So goddamn stupid. Yeah. Go F yourselves, San Diego. And then number three, they've fallen, but Mets fans who used to be the worst. Their true colors are going to come out in the postseason. Like that Frank
1: the Tank guy. Oh, I Jesus. love Frank
0: the Tank, dude. He's
2: hilarious. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. He,
0: he needs the, help. He's, like, he's like the BSB of the Mets.
1: He needs help.
0: <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to the Incline Daughters podcast with us all season long. Help us out. Give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. And follow us on Twitter. Please leave a five-star review if you like us. Uh, that will help us go a long way. Thank Even you guys you so much. And go Dodgers. (laughs) 2022 in the books for the regular season. That is.
2: (laughs) This is
1: the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand.